This summer, we did more traveling uh, than I think we've ever done in, in like a three-month period. Um, in addition to my trip to Israel and Jordan, uh, about two and a half weeks after we got back from that, uh, we had a family wedding out in L.A. And so we took the entire family on a two-week trip. Uh, we, went, we flew in and out of Vegas because we had friends in Vegas we wanted to stay with. So we flew into Vegas, went to L.A. for five days, back to Vegas, over to the Grand Canyon, to Flagstaff, Arizona, Sedona, Arizona, back to Vegas, back to Indianapolis where our van was parked, and then back here all in about 12 days, about 2,000 miles. And uh, I, I thought I'd share some pictures here with you this morning, uh, just our experience. This is all, me all dressed up. It's one of the few times you'll see me in a suit. Uh, this is my lovely wife, Karen, our kids, Ethan and Morgan. This was at the, uh, the wedding of my cousin, uh, which is the next picture here. Uh, you would think my cousin is the incredibly handsome bald man, uh, but that's not my cousin. My cousin is actually the bride. Uh, my aunt is Japanese, and so my cousins are half American, half Japanese. And uh, this is her husband. Um, I, you know, I love the head. We go to the same barber. So um, in, just an incredible family wedding. Had a great time out there. Um, so we flew out on Thursday to Vegas, drove Friday morning to L.A., wedding rehearsal Friday night, wedding Saturday morning, family get-together Saturday night. Um, I think we have one more picture from the wedding here. Oh, yes. This is my, uh, my other cousin, her younger brother. Um, he is a priest, and he'll take his final uh, ordination vows next April uh, out in L.A. I'm going to fly back out there for that experience. Um, there were a lot of, of jokes flying around because you had a priest and a pastor together. Uh, we were called the Jesus Junkies, uh, which I was okay with. And, uh, you know, all we needed was a, a Jewish rabbi, and we had a walking joke uh, with us the whole time. So... Um, so we, uh, so we did the wedding that was Saturday and then all day Saturday we kind of hung out. Well, Sunday was July 4th. And so we got the family all together again and we went to, we were in Woodland Hills, uh, California, just North of LA. And, and there was a park about eight blocks down from my aunt and uncle's house. And, and that's where we all joined with like thousands of other people for, uh, for the fireworks. This is my daughter. They had free face paintings. So. Um, here's kind of our whole clan, and, and we, it was a great experience. We had family come in from, you know, Miami and, and Illinois and Midwest, I mean, everywhere. We all kind of congregated for my cousin's wedding um, out there together. <clears throat> there was an interesting thing that happened, though, as we were walking, because it was about eight blocks uh, from my, my aunt and uncle's house to this park where the, where the fireworks were taking place. As we were walking across um, Ventura Boulevard, I get to the other side, and there in the corner is this homeless guy, and he's standing there. And he's, I mean, he's just kind of, this isn't actually him. I didn't take a picture of him. This is, you know, I pulled this off of Google. Um, but uh, I thought it would kind of be rude to snap a picture of the guy. So uh, we're walking along, and he stands out to me because, I mean, we've got thousands of people walking right past this guy. And he's just standing on the street corner, and hair's just wild. It's all out all over the place. He's, he's got a beard that's like Grizzly Adams. And, and it took me a second. Then I realized something, what was unique about him was that he had on so many layers of clothes that I realized suddenly that he had every piece of clothing he owned on his body so that it wouldn't get stolen at night. Down at his feet were these two bags um, just filled with all of his worldly possessions. And, and he wasn't asking for anything. That's one of the things that stood out to me. He, he wasn't asking for it. In fact, he was kind of resigned to what he considered, I think, his lot in life. He, he just stood there. In fact, he avoided eye contact most of the time. Um, he didn't get in the way. He kind of stood off to the side. And, and, he, and I could just see this hollow look in his eyes. Um, he'd glance up every now and again at the crowds walking past. Um, and he just had this hollow look in his eyes. Um, he wasn't angry. He wasn't mad. He wasn't frustrated. He was just kind of resigned. To this is who he is and what his life's all about. And so we walk past and, and we go to 
the fireworks, and, and we have just a great moment, you know, an incredible moment. And, and then we come back that night, and thousands more people, and the guy's still standing on the same street corner. We walk right past him, and, and Ethan's got to go to the bathroom really bad, so we're like flying home to my aunt and uncle's house. And, and when we get home, and, and we go to bed, I just forget about the guy. Um, so the, the next day, we, uh, is Monday, my cousins and I, we go out for a, a hike in the Santa Monica Mountains. This is my other cousin, uh, their youngest brother, uh, Mike, and we go out for this incredible hike, and, and we went out to this thing called Balanced Rock, and that was a huge rock. It was like 100 foot tall and had rock climbing routes up on it, and great time, you know, with my cousins out in the wilderness, and, and the rest of the family, they didn't get up at 6 in the morning and go on this hike with us. They slept in until about 10 and then went to the beach, and so we joined them at the beach the next day. That's the only picture you get, so you can't handle this in a swimming suit, so it sunk in. took a second there. <sighs> I'm just kidding. I don't want to show you this in a swimming suit. Um, so, uh, you know, we had a great day at the Pacific Ocean, the beach there. And that was Monday. And Tuesday, we go to Disneyland. And so we got the kids. And, and we're all getting together at Disneyland. And, and I think we've got a picture here of Morgan meeting Tinkerbell and, and some other guy. I don't know who that is. But uh, she was just enraptured. Somebody knows? You know? Who is it? Tinkerbell's friend. Do you know his name? I think I remember it. Is it Terrence? Does that sound right? Yeah. Terrence? Okay. All right. My nephew knew. Don't know how. Uh, but Terrence was his name. And uh, so we got to meet Mickey Mouse. And, and it was just this, this great time together, you know. We just kind of whirlwind five days in L.A. <clears throat> so Wednesday, we're getting up, and, and we get out of the hotel, and, and uh, we're going back to Vegas that day. Okay? We're going to meet my friends in Vegas, and then Thursday, we're going to go to the Grand Canyon. So we sleep in a little bit. We go say goodbye to the family. And we realize, you know, we really need to, like, grit some snacks for the road. So we go to the local grocery store. We'd hit this place a few times, you know, to have food for the trip. And, and uh, we're like, okay, we need some, some new drinks. We need some, you know, crackers or potato chips or something for the road. So we go, we fill up our, our bags, you know, we get the groceries. We're pulling out of the grocery parking lot. I'm stopped at a red light. And I look to my right, and it's the exact same homeless guy standing on the side of the street. Standing right outside of this, this burger place called Fat Burger, if you've ever been to California. Um, standing right there. And then I noticed something that I hadn't noticed the night of the fireworks. He didn't have any shoes on. He was barefoot, walking around the streets of L.A., carrying every possession he had. And in that moment, I've never heard God speak more clearly. Chris, you've got four pairs of shoes in your van. Because I pack like a girl. I do. <laughs> I, I just, I got to be prepared. You've got four pairs of shoes in your van. You've got a bag full of groceries for a road trip five hours away. Give it to him. And remind me in that moment, I knew I was teaching this morning. It reminded me of that moment of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Luke chapter 10. I know many of you know this parable. Uh, you've been in if you've been in church, you know this story. Uh, but I want you to hold on with me, okay? Because I'm going to give you some Old Testament connections that may be new to you. I hope you're going to learn some new things this morning. For those of you who've never heard this, I hope you experience it in, in a unique way this morning. Um, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10 if you have your Bibles. If you don't, it's going to be on the screen here. But here's what I want to do. I want everybody to stand, and we're going to read the text together, okay? So everybody stand up. <clears throat> And we're going to read this together, starting in verse 25. It's on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Read it with me. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, and you guys read this now. Go ahead and read. Go and do likewise. Thank you. You're going to be seated. I need some volunteers. All right, we're going to we're going to experience this story this morning. I need uh, five people, real quick. Okay, let's do this quickly. Five people can be adults, can be kids. I don't really care. Come on, just just come up, just come up. You don't have to raise your hand. Just come on up. I need five people. Okay, I need four grown men over here, four adult men over here. All right, just do it while I'm talking here, uh, and then uh, one, two, three, four, five. Okay, all right, Jan, I'm going to put you over here with the men. Go with, okay. All right, and then I need four families over here, husband, wife, and kids, okay? Husband, wife, and kids. I need four families right over here, so you guys just go ahead and come on up. Um, Guys, you can sit up on the stage. You're fine up there. You guys stay right here. All right, we're going to experience this. Families, you can get up on the stage too. Just hang out up there. I'll get to you in a second, all right? So um, you're going to be my expert in the law, okay? So you're going to come over here. You're the guy that's talking to Jesus, all right? You want to know exactly who's your neighbor, all right? You're going to be the person who's traveling the road that gets robbed. I'm sorry. You're just the first one in the line, okay? So you're going to get beat up at church this morning. I hope that's okay. I'm just kidding. We're not really going to beat you up. Um, You guys are going to beat her up, okay? You're the priest. You're the Levite. You're the Samaritan, all right? So you guys, the four of you, come up on stage with me here. You stay where you are, all right? Go ahead. Go ahead. Come on. Come on. Come on. I told Dan we're going to go long this morning over in children's ministry. So, all right, so the expert in the law, he's asking Jesus, he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, all right, I'm going to tell you a story. He says, a man was walking down Jericho. Now, here's what you need to know. Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was up in the mountains. Jericho's down in the valley, uh, down at the base of the mountain. And he had to walk down this path, okay? It was a very narrow road. It was a treacherous road. It was about 14 miles long. And it's a great place for thieves and robbers to hide out and attack unsuspecting travelers. People never traveled by themselves. Very Rarely did you ever travel this road by yourself because it was so dangerous. And yet one day somebody travels down from Jerusalem towards Jericho and they they start down this road and then all of a sudden, you guys are the robbers. Jump up and beat her up. (laughs) Look at her, she's scared. Don't be scared. All right, I need some help here, robbers, okay? Like jump up, 
Okay. All right. All right. So she's down for the count. All right. Spread out. Spread out over the whole road. All right. So you're like blocking the road because it's a narrow path. Okay. And so she's down for the count. So the priest comes along. Now the priest is coming from where? Hold on. Jerusalem to where? Okay. Hold on to that. He's coming from Jerusalem. So the priest comes down. He's walking along this narrow road and he sees this person that's been beaten up, almost dying. And he goes, huh? Okay. Just step over him. Just walk past him. All right, now why would the priest do that? Why in the world would the priest do that? Why why was he in Jerusalem in the first place? You might know? Pilgrimage? Okay, maybe. The priest, each priest was drawn by lottery, and they had to serve in the temple for two weeks of the year. And so the priest has come from his hometown, possibly Jericho, down at the bottom of the mountain, and he's come up to Jerusalem to serve in the temple uh, for two weeks. Okay, so he's, he's been gone from his family. He's been gone from his home. He's ready to get home. He's got places to be. He wants to see his family. He wants to see his hometown. And so he's down, and he's walking down, and he comes across this body that's, I mean, this person's almost dying. And he, he's like, man, I really want to go home. And you know what? There, there's the teaching anyway. Leviticus 21, I know the law. Hey, he says this, Leviticus 21, verses 1 and 2. Do we have it up here? The Lord said to Moses, speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, a priest must not make himself ceremonially unclean for any of his people who die except for a close relative. Is this person his relative? No. So if he touches this person, what happens to him? He becomes ceremonially unclean. What's the problem with this picture, though? He's not going to Jerusalem. He's already served in the temple. It doesn't matter if he's ceremonially unclean. Because if you become unclean as a priest, you have, to, you have to set aside yourself for seven days to be purified. And he wouldn't be able to serve in the temple. That was an incredible experience, incredible opportunity. But he's coming from Jerusalem. He's already done his job. Doesn't matter if really in the end of things, if he touches this person and helps this person. No. Not from a ceremonial uh, viewpoint, from a perspective. So he, he passes over him because he's, he's in a hurry. He's inconvenient. If he becomes unclean, he's, he's got to go back to Jerusalem, back up the road to be cleansed there for another seven days before he go home. He wants to see his family. You know, I don't have time for this. And, and, and besides, there's a lot of shame in becoming unclean as a priest. I mean, what will my friends think of me? And so the priest walks on by. You can go around in your chair. It's okay. And then a Levite comes along. And a Levite, their job is to assist the priests in the temple. So where's the, where's the Levite coming from? Jerusalem, already served in the temple, comes down the mountain road, comes across the person who's been beat up. Same thing, you know, man, I've been away from home for a while. I had ceremonially unclean, you know, maybe I, I don't want to do that. A lot of shame. I just want to go home. So the Levite passes by the person. And then Jesus says to the expert in the law, this guy's a lawyer, okay? This guy knows the Old Testament, knows it great, knows it well, right? Rock it, all right. Um, So he says, a Samaritan comes along from Jerusalem towards Jericho. Okay, stop there. What do we know about Samaritans? Where do the Jews, how do the Jews view Samaritans? They're half-breeds. They're lower than dogs, 
And so Jesus makes a Samaritan the hero of the story. How in the world did the Samaritans become half-breeds? How did the Samaritans become viewed like this by the Jews? Well, it goes back to the Old Testament. This is that connection. If you've heard this story, maybe you don't know this. Uh, if you go to 2 Kings 17, um, one of the things that happened um, shortly after Solomon reigned was that the nation of Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel in the north, the kingdom of Judah in the south. Do you see Samaria on the map? Where's it at? It's in the northern kingdom. Samaria was a region that was already in the land of Israel, okay? But after Solomon dies, his son's a horrible leader. Nation divides into two different nations. We have a northern kingdom. We have a southern kingdom. Now, each of these has its own battles, its own things that happen. Northern kingdom in 722 BC is invaded by the Assyrian Empire. Now, the Assyrian Empire, when they would take over a land, they wouldn't just come in and, and decimate everything and everybody. They would come in and they would actually deport most of the people from that land, and they would ship them to other lands around the world. And then they would bring people from all other lands into the land that they just conquered. And so 722 BC, Assyria comes in, they conquer the kingdom of Israel, which includes the region of? Samaria. Where, who was from? Okay. And so we see in 2 Kings chapter 17, it says, The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and settled them in the towns of Samaria to replace the Israelites. They took over Samaria and lived in its towns. When they first lived there, they did not worship the Lord, so he sent lions among them, and they killed some of the people. It was reported to the king of Assyria, the people you deported and resettled in the towns of Samaria, they do not know what, what the God of that country requires. He has sent lions among them, which are killing them off, because the people do not know what he requires. Then the king of Assyria gave this order, have one of the priests you took captive from Samaria go back to live there and teach the people what the God of the land requires. So one of the priests uh, who had been exiled from Samaria came to live in Bethel and taught them how to worship the Lord, the God Almighty. Nevertheless, each national group, listen to this, made its own gods in the several towns where they settled and set them up in the shrines the people of Samaria had made at the high places. The men from Babylon made Succoth Benoth, the men from Kutha made Nergal, and the men from Hamath made Ashima, the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. I don't know how to say these things. And the Sepharvaites burned their children in the fire as sacrifices to Adramelech and Amalek. Yeah, whatever. Uh, the God, come on, you do the same thing I do. You're reading the Old Testament, you're like, I have no idea. We'll just move on. They worshiped the Lord. But they also appointed all sorts of their own people to officiate for them as priests in the shrines at the high places. They worshiped the Lord, but they also served their own gods in accordance with the customs of the nations from which they had been brought. What do we know about the nation of Israel? Who were they in God's eyes? They were his chosen people. They were instructed not to intermarry with other nations, with other people, because he, God knew that if they did so, their gods would infiltrate into their worship, and they would divide their, their devotion, their worship, between the God of, of the universe, uh, Yahweh, and the, all the other gods of all the other nations around. And yet Assyria, their practice was to bring in all these other people, bring in their cultural heritage, bring in their religion, and put them in that nation. Are you okay down there still? You want a pillow? You doing good? <laughs> Sorry, I don't have a pillow. Um, she looked sad. 
So here we have a nation, Samaria, which is, is mixing religions. This is 722 BC. And over, the, over centuries of time, time takes place until Jesus is sitting here with an expert in the law. And he says, you know, a Samaritan, those people that you consider dogs, those people that you consider half-breeds, because even though, you know, they are your kinsmen back in the day, they're really not. You know, this is the hero of our story. Can you imagine how the, the expert in the law is feeling at this point? He says, I'm not, you know, Jesus, I'm not, I'm not real pleased uh, with you choosing this person. So he goes on and he says, you know, why, why can't you have somebody else? Why can't you have, have somebody else be the hero? Maybe a Pharisee. You know, in, in rabbinic teachings, there's, there's like 400 of these sayings. And it, it kind of went a priest, a Levite, and a Pharisee. That's what the, the expert in the law was expecting to hear. Instead, he hears a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. And yet in doing this... Jesus takes the expert in the law who knew the Old Testament better than most anybody else, takes him back to an interesting experience that the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah had in their history. Second Chronicles chapter 28, I'll summarize it at first. A northern kingdom, which includes the land of Samaria, invades the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, Judah has sinned. God sends the northern kingdom in to conquer them. Uh, so the northern kingdom, uh, we're represented here by our four men here. Stand up. You got strong northern men of Israel. All right. Um, you guys are the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, and so the northern kingdom comes in. They kill all the men. Listen closely. They kill all the men and they take the women and children away. All right. <laughs> So they're bringing back their captives. They've got all of this stuff. And then this guy named Oded comes along and says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. What are you doing? And we hear these words in Second Chronicles chapter 28, starting in verse 8, uh, or verse 9. Um, no, I'm sorry, verse 8. The Israelites took captive from their kinsmen, their brothers, 200,000 wives, sons, and daughters. They also took a great deal of plunder, which they carried back to Samaria. But a prophet of the Lord named Oded was there, and he went out to meet the army when he returned to Samaria. He said to them, Because the Lord, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he gave them into your hand. But you have slaughtered them in a rage that reaches to heaven. And now you intend to make the men and women of Judah and Jerusalem your slaves? But aren't you also guilty of sins against the Lord your God? Now listen to me. Send back your fellow countrymen you have taken as prisoners, for the Lord's fierce anger rests on you. He goes on, and he says... Uh, you must not bring those prisoners here, they said, or we'll be guilty before the Lord. Do you intend to add to our sin and guilt? For our guilt is already great, and his fierce anger rests on Israel. Now listen up. Remember the story of the Samaritan on the road to Jericho. Remember what the Samaritan does for the person who's been beat up. What does he do? He pours oil on his wounds, bandages him up, puts him on his donkey, and takes him down to Jericho. Puts him in an inn at his own expense. Listen to what happened in the history of the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. So the soldiers gave up the prisoners and plunder in the presence of the officials and all the assembly. The men designated by name took the prisoners, and from the plunder they clothed all who were naked. They provided them with clothes and sandals, food and drink, and healing balm. All those who were weak they put on donkeys. So they took them back to their fellow countrymen at Jericho, the city of Palms, and returned to Samaria. How cool is that? 
The parable is based on an actual event in the history of the nation of Israel. And this expert in the law would know this. And he's in there going, oh my gosh. Can you believe that? And so take him back. Go back. Take him back to their people. And so the Samaritan walks along, bandages up the person, takes him down to Samaria. And Jesus says to the expert in the law, which one of these is his neighbor? And what does he say? What does he say? The one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He couldn't accept that. He couldn't get past his biases. He couldn't accept that here was Jesus telling him a story of actual history that happened where the Samaritans were the ones who took care of the Israelites. The Samaritan is the one who picked up when a priest and Levite wouldn't. And this guy, the expert in the law, don't worry, I'm not getting too mad at you. This guy couldn't even say the word Samaritan. Come on! Go ahead and back your seats, guys. Thank you. Give these guys a round of applause. And so Jesus replies, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Go and show mercy to those who are strangers, to those who are hurting, to those who are not like you, to that person that you cannot stand at all. Go and show mercy to those you hate. See, we don't have a problem showing mercy to people who look like us and, and talk like us, do we? We don't have a problem showing mercy to those who are our friends and who are hurting it as long as they're not hurting too badly and will take up too much of my time. We don't have a problem showing mercy to those we already love. We don't have a problem showing mercy to those who are the same socioeconomic status as we are, do we? We don't have a problem showing mercy to someone who lives in the same kind of house we do, in the same kind of neighborhood we do, who drives the same kind of car that we do. We don't have a problem showing mercy to somebody who shares our political beliefs and our religious beliefs but to those who are different than us to those who are not like us to those who we have nothing in common with to those that we cannot stand to be around that we cannot stand to look at the Samaritan took time to help somebody who was a completely different culture completely different background probably somebody that hated his guts and he took the time to heal him and take him back to Jericho. It didn't matter who this guy was or how he got in this situation. The Samaritan is a man who saw a guy hurting and he took action. How often do we walk past somebody who's hurting and is in need of help and we just walk on by? There's a poem I heard a long time ago by Wilbur Reese. It's called Three Pounds of God. It says, I'd like to buy three pounds of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I'd like to buy three pounds of God, please. So I'm sitting at this stoplight in L.A. outside of Fatburger. And I look over and I see the homeless guy. He's got no shoes. He's got no food. God has spoken to me as clear as day. Chris, you've got an extra pair of sandals. 
give them your sandals. You got a bag full of food, give them your food. And the light turns green. And I keep driving. I mean, I, I had places to be. I was supposed to be in Vegas at a certain time that night. If I didn't get out of L.A., I was going to hit traffic. And you, you guys, if you've been in L.A., you know L.A. traffic. Besides, I mean, how do I even know my shoe was going to fit him? I mean, come on, it's just an adjustable sandal, a size 13. How do, hey, what size are his feet? And, and I only got like a couple boxes of crackers and some bottles of, of water and juice. I mean, is, is that really going to be enough to satisfy him? No, it's not going to be enough. He's still going to be hungry. And, and I don't even know who this guy is. I mean, what if, what if, what if you know, he's like crazy mental and he like attacks my family? I've got my family with me. I mean, what's this guy? What if this guy comes into my van and, and starts going after my family? And I mean, what, what am I going to say to him anyway? I mean, I mean, you know, hey, God told me to stop and talk to you and give you stuff. I mean, he's going to think I'm mental. And, you know, there really, honestly, there, there wasn't any place convenient to park and pull over. I was on Ventura Boulevard, four lanes. It was crazy. And so I just kept driving. And I've never forgotten his face since. Aren't these the same excuses we use when we walk past somebody who's hurting and in need of assistance? Like the priest and the Levite, we we have places to be and things to do. It's going to cost us money. It's going to be inconvenient. It's it's probably going to be messy. It's going to mess with my schedule, my life. And yet Jesus calls us to get messy, to go and do likewise regardless of who the person is or what their situation is or how they got in there. If you see a person in need, meet their need. It may be a physical need. It may be a spiritual need. It may be an emotional need. But be like the Samaritan. No matter who that person is, stop and give them the assistance they need. No strings attached. No hesitation. Some of you are thinking of a a person right now. Maybe it's somebody that you walk past every day who's homeless on the street and you see them all the time. Maybe it's a family that's hurting down the street in your, in your subdivision and they could use your help in whatever way. Maybe it's a neighbor that drives you crazy. You can't stand that person. But they know, you know that they need something. Maybe it's a fellow student in your school who's all alone and doesn't seem to have anybody. And they're just begging for somebody to become their friend. Maybe somebody in your family. Maybe somebody in your family who needs help. Regardless of their situation, you need to be there for them. Who's that person? And how are you going to respond? Are you going to be the priest or the Levite? Or are you going to be the Samaritan? Let me pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.